like from Roger Waters to somebody like Hitchcast, nobody, uh, and like Mahnaz Afshar, Nazanin Bunyadi, like all these things that we mentioned here, like it shows that this is like a very, very comprehensive anti-Iran campaign that we have never seen something totally. like this before. Y- yeah. How in 2009, man, like I don't know about you, Setare, but I was in the streets. I was protesting the government. Now I see like Mir Hossein Musavi uh, like writes a uh, an introduction to a book about Arab Spring and so on. And then he says, oh, I stand with you. Like he pretty much stands with the ISIS, you know, like it is very saddening to see how it was uh, like going forward at the time. But even then, when millions of people were in the streets, we didn't have this much you know, anti-Iran coverage and so on. There is a revolution every day overseas. There is a revolution every day on social media. They don't save it, so they have to do it again tomorrow. How do you compare the 2009 protest in Iran with the current protest that we are seeing? How do you feel about it and what are the... Yeah, yeah, tell us about it. Like, um, I cannot uh, really give... um, first-hand, you know, information about uh, what's happening on the ground now, because I'm overseas, obviously. But what we can uh, definitely say is the number of protesters is much, much less than 2009. The number of cities involved are much more than 2009. Then uh, what we see here is like it's uh, since it was, I think... uh, 16th of September, exactly on the day Massa passed away so far. Uh, it's over a month that um, the protests have continued. Uh, and it's called by the BBC the most long-standing protest in co- contemporary Iran, which is totally false. The Green Movement continued for months, like um, from, let's say, Khorda to day, how many months it would be? Uh, it's like, like uh, yeah, even more like, um, so this is not comparable. Also, one similarity that you can point out um, is that um, this this protest, um, uh, like the 2009 one, and unlike what happened in 2019 and 2017, I guess it was like, Day Navadushish and Aban Navadohasht. Those two were about the working class mainly. This one and 2009 are more about the middle middle class, and uh, they're like. Uh, it doesn't mean that those other groups are not involved, but the majority seem to be of the middle class Iranians. And then, like another difference that I can see is like it's open call for revolution here. There is nothing less to be desired by the main voices of these protests now. But at the time, um, in 2009, it was about where is my vote? Because a lot of um, voters, especially in Tehran, thought that their votes were stolen. There are stories about it, how it was um, like hyped uh, from before uh, the election was held and afterwards continued by... Uh, people who were in the camp of Mir Hossein Musavi or the reformists. 
But anyway, uh, overall, I think uh, what we see over the years since 2009 so far is that we see more radicalization of these movements and uh, we see more foreign intervention around it, more sort of uh, quote-unquote support by the West. And we should be very careful about the next one. The next one, yes, um, the Iranian government maybe is uh, now more ready than before, more trained and with uh, like underground experience uh, to, uh, you know, fight back. But who knows? In Syria, there was Iran to help. In Iran, there is no Iran to help. That's a very good point. We need point. to keep that in mind. Yeah. True. And okay, Russia is great. already in somewhere else. And Russia so. is already like has having its own issues and to deal with like it's it's very bad timing and that decline of the United States that I mentioned. Um, like I think uh, the decline of the United States uh, more than anything means that the the rest of the world should be very, very careful and scared of it because anything could um, could be used and abused by them and uh, like being uh, like against the protesters themselves. It's not going to be Obama. like somebody. Yeah, I was going to mention like Obama said in a recent speech that he regrets not having helped the 2009 protest, right? Did you hear about that? Which yes, is, I mean, I, he did actually support it. He uh, actually did support it. He did support it. Yeah, wow. he just didn't um, wage war on Iran. That's the only thing probably he didn't. And he says that he regrets it. And that's, and that's part of a reason Nayak. What uh, he's saying, though, is he's saying he regrets not invading Iran. That's what, his, that's exactly. what the subtext is in saying. Yeah. That. Exactly. Like, that's amazing. Wow, what a sicko. Yeah. Yeah, and then like the sanctions that he put on Iran afterwards was just unprecedented. And like um, the Trump sanctions called maximum pressure are based on Obama sanctions. Yeah, like yes. the same the same framework is used. It's not something that you feel like Trump invented by himself. It was like yeah. Obama's destructive role in contemporary history of the 21st century is just. I don't think even like in many ways, even George Bush was close to him. Exactly. Yeah. Well. And keep in mind that Nobel Peace Prize that is given always to warmongers and, you know, like regime changes and those who are separatists or advocating for these kind of things, you know. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. sadly, the hope and change was mostly hope for regime change, but that's what we, we got with Obama. He yeah. dedicated his uh, prize to uh, Nadal Sultan, if you remember. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, it is. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, this guy, I don't know what he means by he didn't do enough, but, yeah, Setaris is maybe military intervention. That's the only thing on the table now for Iran as well. Yeah. Like, and at the time it was, and this is the only option left. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that back in 2009 he did not do, I mean, he, did, he took every other action, but just not a military invasion. Well, I I remember watching those protests back in 2009 on RT. They had a really good coverage of it. And it was like one of those things where I was like, wow, RT is so great. Like it was back when RT actually was good. They went through this transition where I think their their 
like the CEO of RT was murdered in a hotel room. And after that, everything became like very crap. But before that, they were really counter narrative and alternative, like extremely. They still are a little bit, but they're not nearly what they were. But back then, I remember watching RT and then watching the mainstream or listening to NPR in 2009 and being like, wait a minute, they're just this is just a voting reform protest. Like it's not what. And then the, the mainstream was like basically doing this, like countering, like, should we support this? revolution should we go in and like it was kind of like this whole regime changey narrative where it was pushing for and to me I, I remember watching people there and like they had these photos again of like women waving their hijab in the air and it was like these it was like that is their own i remember specifically thinking this is their domestic issue like why are we even covering it non-stop on our channels but like you said, every step, every one of these is going to get closer and closer to supporting regime change, even if it's totally unrelated. Like, uh, like this is hijab, this is cloth coverings on top of women's heads. They've figured out how to hijack that culturally in order to militarily in, push military invasion and occupation of a country, which just happens to have huge petroleum resources. But we'll just leave that on the other yes. side. It's nothing to do with invasions. Uh, it's sad. Yeah, like sorry. back to the back to the uh, uh, like uh, celebrities, I wanted to um, mention a couple of more names as well. Sadaf Beauty, who's got millions of followers on uh, Instagram, and she's all about beauty and style, and you know how to do your makeup and so on. Um, she's not a political person. She's not a commentator. She's not an activist whatsoever. Nothing. Nothing. She was mentioning in one of her stories on Instagram that why don't you use cocktail molotovs from your window when there's like a bunch of, you know, regime agents or, you know, security guards or whatever she named it out there. If you just throw it away from your house, from your unit apartment's window, once they turn their head, they will see 50 windows. They can't really recognize which one it was. It is like uh, very questionable that how somebody like Sadaf Beauty suddenly becomes like uh, a person who openly um, encourages violence and Instagram that actually closes down accounts like this in a second or shadow bans them. How do they allow her to do this? Oh, there was another person, Mahnaz Afshar, who is a former Iranian actress. Uh, she left the country. There are a lot of stories around that, but let's um, put them aside. She's got um, 16 million followers, 16 million followers on Instagram. And then she wrote, uh, she tweeted the other day that uh, I'm thinking of um, actually because I don't know how to help this movement, this revolution, as they call it. And um, I, I, I would like to mm, hand over my account to somebody who can use it for, for the better. And then uh, there were like some suggestions by her followers on Twitter, but she ended up giving it to an institute that nobody really thought about. And that was Tavana, Tavana Institute. They openly, like their videos of... Uh, uh, Mariam Emar Sadeghi, who with her husband, they run Tavana since 2010, I guess, 
correct me, Satori, if I'm wrong. Um, they they get funded by uh, the American and Dutch governments. They get like free, you know, like um, support from Google by ranking them higher in Google search. They get like a lot of support from different, you know, uh, you know, uh, places. And then she she was calling for like let's say um, uh, bringing up the example of Kosovo, saying that oh people in Kosovo were bombed by NATO. But they were just so happy. They were saying, just, we know we might die, but bomb us because it will free us. And this could happen for Iran yeah, as that's well. That's exactly what she said. That's exactly yeah, what she I'm said. Not, I'm not exaggerating. She's, that is the problem. Exactly. Wow. She's openly called for bombing Iran. Yeah. yeah. Or but like, all, all uh, these uh, expats do, the, the Venezuelan expat community, the Cuban expat community, they managed to like coalesce this certain political type of expat of these these target countries, so that you actually do have these narratives where people from the countries that are targeted by the U.S. support the targeting of their home, exactly. their eth and ethnic homeland. And the, thing is, uh, and the thing is, when you bomb Iran, there these people, these expats, they're never going to go to a country yeah. that has just recently been bombed. They're yeah, not they're even. Not move I mean. Back. That's ridiculous. They, they consider Iran. This is uh, a tweet that I just uh, wrote a few days ago. I don't know, Roman, if you saw that or not. But a lot of these Iranian expats, I'm not saying the majority or everyone or whatever. I'm just saying many of them. They they consider Iran a third world country and they're never yep. going to move back. They might go for holidays, even if yep. the regime changes, but they're never going to go back and live there. Never. So they're calling, that's why they're calling for the bombing of this uh, nation, because they're not going to be harmed at all. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't change anything about their life. They're just going to be paid more money because they could push the agenda. And I'm sure, I mean, do you think like, for example, Mahnaza Afshar has given her uh, Instagram page to Tavana for free? Of course not. I mean, it is. she has been. Mahnaz, Mahnaz Afshar doesn't have a job. Mahnaz Afshar is jobless. Like, what does she do? We don't see her doing anything. Like, she she must have a source of income. I don't know if she sold it or rented it or whatever. I don't know. But the fact that you just uh, like because you're so kind, you just give your Twitter uh, like Instagram account of six sixteen million followers to somebody wow. to advocate for the Iranian revolution. It is something wow. that I can't believe. 16 really million. Oh, wow. Yeah, she's paid handsomely for that. A lot. But there was yeah. this, this other person, like, um, you know, Masih Alinejad, uh, who's been always, like, for years, she's been uh, against compulsory headscarf and so on. And then suddenly, whenever there is, like, a kind of um, movement or any requirement uh, from the people, by the people, for the people, then she's so quiet about it. Like El Naz Rekabi, who actually, uh, what's, the, what's the name of the sport in English? <laughs> rock climber, I, I think sorry. Rock climber. Oh. <laughs> she's uh, a rock climber. And um, she, she was um, uh, like at a uh, like continental level competing last week. She didn't wear a headscarf. Um, and then Masih Halinejad didn't say a word. 
she wasn't really supporting it. She wasn't saying that that was a courageous, you know, uh, move or whatever. Then once she was like, I don't know, she's been asked or she was like a bit apprehensive about the consequences and share their story on her Instagram. Then Masih Alinejad thought, oh, you know, like again, mandatory um, interrogations. And, you know, like then it's a very terrible move by the Iranian media who went to the airport and started interviewing Elnaz Rekabi that what, what did, was it like, was it an accident or you was just like, uh, how did this happen? Like the enemies of Iran wanted to use it against us. And so don't do that interview, please. Let her alone. Let her alone yeah. and let it happen Just organically. Like this this manipulation yes. is not accepted either. But anyway. But the, wait, uh, her, but I heard about that. So Tara, what you told me about, you showed me an article about that. What was her reasoning for not wearing it? She actually said publicly why she didn't wear it. Yeah, I, I just, yeah, that's the thing. I, uh, I just translated her uh, Instagram page and what she wrote without leaving any comment because I don't really know. But the thing is, they were claiming that she has been abducted by the Iranian government and she has gone missing. But then she posted and she was interviewed to say, to show that nothing happened and uh, she she was uh, returning to the country with the team uh, just as natural. Um, and yes, she, she, she described it as something that happened because she was uh, waiting in the women's room uh, and she was like the, there was a change in the schedule for her to climb. And so she had to rush out and she forgot her scarf, which sounds like an excuse to me. I don't know if I, I mean, there's no way for me to verify if that's correct or not. Uh, but in, but anyways, I think she managed it very well. And as Human said, she like she has to be left alone. I don't like uh, like pressing her to like be interviewed uh, just immediately after she arrives. Uh, but at the same time, like she was welcomed by a large group of fans at the airport. And what time, I think she arrived somewhere like around, uh, it was uh, early morning, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. And there were like so a was, lot of people going to the airport to support her. Yeah, to thank her for her courageous act or whatever. Um, of like leaving the house without her clothing on. <laughs> That's so well, funny. <laughs> it, it was very symbolic. If she, if she really did yeah. it to, the Iranian woman. I mean, there's no serious. way that she did it accidentally to me. I agree with you. That seems really, if yeah. your whole life but you've this, been dressed, it's like me walking out, going to the store and being yeah. like, oh, I forgot my pants. Like, it's, <laughs> like the, the Iranian media doesn't do its job properly. Like, it's no question uh -huh. around it. Yeah. Uh, and then also, yeah. like, the, the uh, national TV channels and those. Like Irna, which is um, associated with the uh, presidential palace, um, they were interviewing her, and I don't really agree with what they do. It is it is not correct. But anyway, like uh, Masih Alinejad then started talking about her, and that is like that shows that she's obviously not um, like doing anything for Iranian women. She is looking for herself and the opportunities that uh, she can just. Uh, embrace in every occasion possible like she's been paid almost seven hundred thousand dollars since 2015 she works for the voice of america persian 
And uh, she's been like one of those people who was recently interviewed by the BBC um, World Service. Um, Yeah, again, openly said that uh, it doesn't matter who pays me. What I what I do is important. No, wait, that's not exactly what she said. She said she was like something like I'm proud that people want to use me or something. What was that was another interview. That was yeah. another interview yeah, and it's in like, which she kind of claimed that she was the leader of the revolution or something. Or that she, no, that she was trying to excuse that she's getting paid is not a bad thing because people actually, she likes the fact that people want to hear what she had. She, or people, yeah, people pay. What was yeah. it, Satara? We talked about There's that. something along these lines. Like, yeah, she's I, like I the voice that. of the people. So it doesn't yeah. matter who pays her for that. You know, like that, yeah. is, that yeah. is the bottom yes. line. Unbelievable. Thing, uh, another thing missing here is uh, another reason that she did not support uh, El Nasra Kapi's uh, act is that she has always been ca- calling for canceling uh, Iranian national teams, women yes. or men. So, of course, she doesn't care about Iranian nation or Iranian women. Like, Iranian women have a lot of you know, battles to fight inside Iran to get there. And you were even, uh, like, trying to stop them from doing that, like, canceling national teams. How does it help Iranian women? I really want to Wait, know. are you like, saying that Iranian so- women don't need advocates who pose for photographs with the head of the CIA? Are you saying that no, Mike yes, Pompeo doesn't Mike help Pompeo, Iranian women? Then he was the secretary Secretary oh, I'm State. sorry. I'm sorry. That makes a big then, difference. Then, yeah, but but it is a good point. But because now she's been replaced by someone else uh, with the Secretary of State, uh, Blinken. She's Nazanin Bonyadi. And Nazan, who is Nazanin Bonyadi? She is a former Scientologist. Ah, who was, really? Oh, that's great. Ah, yes. She was... Oh. Was set up to date uh, Tom Cruise, right? Really? Yeah. And also, oh, that's so yeah. funny. <laughs> a few years back, she called for more economics and not even targeted oh sanctions, God. which is which is again like another another BS around. Like, there's no targeted sanctions. See, Whatever the Scientologist you do, pointing fingers at Muslims as to being yeah. for being crazy. Oh my God, that's hilarious. Yeah, but listen to this call for sanctions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of years back, she she called for economic sanctions, not only targeted sanctions on Iran, because she said uh, we need chemotherapy. Because Uh, you need chemotherapy, you need to be sanctioned to get rid of your cancer, which is the government of Iran. That is sick. Wow, she's saying like, Chemotherapy is a treatment for cancer that often makes you very sick and terrible as a way and, and you know, vomiting and have a, you, you feel terrible. And your goal is, in theory, although it's a lot of criticism of this uh, therapy, like in theory that eventually you'll come out of that a healthier person. So she's saying exactly. that the way to improve the health of Iran is to like torture it with sanctions and let its hair fall yeah. out. And then eventually you'll have a better Iran. Wow. Wow, there's, there's that is probably a some Scientologist. No wonder the CIA it. loves her. What? Sorry, I talked over you. What? And I said there's probably some Scientologist lessons behind it. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah these, these, you have a bunch of Richard heads around us, and they are doing whatever they can to, you know, like uh, just undermine the will of people, 
to pressure them, punish them for what they call the government's brutality or whatever. And then, like, in all these situations, what happens is the Iranian civic movements and activists get more and more weakened, and they cannot actually stand for their rights and do things that they should do. So, for example, if Setare is a person who is critical of guidance patrol, as I am, Setare cannot raise her voice because in this chaotic situation, whatever she says less than the most radical want, it is yes. considered to be a regime agent. Right. Exactly. You don't have your agenda anymore. And the worst outcome of these protests and, you know, like, um, like the whole, you know, developments um, in, in the past month has been polarizing the Iranian society to the bone. We have never been as polarized. Well, I the think that what of- you just said, like, I just interrupted, like, for people who don't understand how to pick propaganda, a lot of people, this is something that there should be more uh, public awareness of how to listen to propaganda. And the, the best way you can figure it out is that there's two sides and you have to pick one side immediately. And you can't divert anything. Like any of the wars, if you go back to like a classic one, like the invasion of Iraq, you know, within, it, like if you didn't agree with weapons of mass destruction or you thought we should question that narrative, immediately you were an apologist for Saddam Hussein. Or if you don't think vaccines are safe and effective without any question, you're immediately, a, you know, whatever, a, a anti-vaxxer. Like there are these things where these propaganda narratives come and you have to pick a side immediately. And if you don't, you're like a baddie. And that's what you're describing is that polarization and it forces a narrative. And that is a key hallmark of propaganda. So I just wanted to point that out. Yeah, yeah, good. uh, Yeah, good note. And like, look, they're siblings now who are against each other. They're friends. I've lost uh, 20-year friends, uh, like 20-year friendships with some people. Like, Seriously, like I can't digest this. It is something that um, they would like to happen in Iran. Like uh, one of the uh, uh, federal, uh, like in in Germany, but for Hamburg Parliament of Hamburg, uh, there was the, this uh, member of Parliament with an Iranian background who was saying that, uh, "Oh, don't tell us that why we don't support." Iranians or Europe doesn't support Iranians. I'm paraphrasing though, uh, because they they stopped giving Schengen visas to Iranian for now, um, because of the uh, like uh, terrible internet uh, at home now. Uh, like some others also stopped like biometrics, which means that your visa processes will be stopped as well. Like a friend of mine who wants to come to Australia, uh, they've got these kind of issues now to deal with. But anyway, uh, he was saying that because um, Europe, firstly, or Germany, they should look at themselves and see what is in their benefit. Yeah, right. You're right. Correct. And then they said that they are afraid of another wave of refugees and (laughs) something that happened in Syria. So they are well aware of the situation. They know that what they're advocating is going to end up in a Syrian sort of conflict within the country. And that is the only way for them to make uh, Iran as the spine of the region to collapse because they can't attack Iran. 
the sanctions are of course pressuring people badly, but it hasn't um, turned down the government and it will not do it. It just weakens the civic movements and those who want to have a rational conversation. So what should we do? We should actually try to do this part. We should make them to fight each other within the country. We should polarize them. We should make them against each other. If we turn them against each other, then there will be more room to arm and, you know, train and, you know, fund those who are, I don't know, separatist movements or terrorist groups within the country, or we can just export them to the country. Like, these are the plans. And it's this classic is why. Gene yeah. Sharpian regime change strategy, where it's like you try and avoid a war by, I mean, a, a armed intervention or armed uh, invasion, and you replace that with a psychological invasion, where you try and manipulate people in order to do the job for you from outside. So you just have to inject information, false, you know, dis and misinformation into a population in order to have them achieve your goals, which you you don't have to, you know. Yeah invade militarily to do yeah so there, there is no uh, like surprise when you see Hamid Ismailiun asking the western diplomats to return home because that would be a better place as Setar appointed earlier it's a better place to have a war when there is no diplomats over there you can just yeah. do whatever you want and then also they are like uh, trying to liken Iran to Russia because they say there was this article by Tony Walker of La Troupe University in which uh, he pointed that Iran and Russia uh, saved Assad's regime in Syria. Okay, So Iran and Russia are now, Iran is uh, arming Russia to fight Ukrainians. I think you have to say the, the Putin thing. regime and the uh, Mullah regime Mullah, exactly, Mullah regime. regime. That's what you have to because it's two. It's the three regimes because you got to use that yeah. word because it's a naughty word. Yeah, they, they yeah. use these terms. They they use these terms a lot. They're so old fashioned, but they're still working well. <laughs> so and then, dumb. Now, in his article, he was uh, trying to say that the Iranian government is against the Kurdish people. You know, like you see how they see that, like Iranian governments fought. Kurdish separatists in Syria. They were funded, trained, armed by the U.S. and its allies. And even Mr. Chomsky said that, oh, the U.S. shouldn't leave Syria just like this. Yeah. He, they should have stayed there to protect uh, Kurdish people. Wait, wait, wait. But did he mean, do you think he meant to occupy, was it a third of Syria illegally, where nobody criticizes the U.S. for illegally occupying Syria and stealing 80% of their oil? Do you think Chomsky uh, actually meant that when he said that? Because they're currently uh, stealing 80% of Syria's oil, and yeah. there's like no outrage. Yeah, some people think that Chomsky is such a great person. Like, I, when I was like younger, I was like always listening to his uh, interviews or speeches and so on because I found him very, you know, like uh, truthful and with good arguments. I think and he was in the past. I think in the past. Like, I don't know, man, like, I, because he also like, I've seen videos of him calling like uh, October Revolution in 1917, like as a coup, like stuff oh, like this. He, he's really? got some okay. sort of like interesting ideas that if you look into him, like the surface is perfect, like you love it. But then when you dig deeper, 
you see, you find some things that are so highly questionable that is this guy actually like a one of those pro-NATO lefties or what is he about? So in this case also, like when it comes to Iran, like he was invited to the Iranian national TV once a few years ago where he was asked about like, um, I think freedom of press or something like that. And then he said uh, to the interviewer that I live in a country that's based on like First Amendment or Second Amendment. Uh, First Amendment, yeah, freedom of First speech. First Amendment, yeah. Uh, like, yeah, freedom of speech. And I can say whatever I want and I'm not really chased after. And I was really? like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so this guy says th- he is not dumb. He knows what he's talking about. And when it comes to Iran, like he is perfectly like aligned with the U.S. foreign policy. And when he even like asks for like he says like he says like Iran wants to get nuclear bombs to deter. Okay, well Iran, no evidence shows that Iran has been doing this so far. We haven't seen any. There is a believes that fatwa. They believe they just believe the fatwas that can demonize Iran, not the fatwas that are actual and show that Iran is not even I mean, religiously yes. Iran. Right. Like, to I'll just give the example because it's interesting if people don't know it. Like everyone loses their crap over like Salman Rushdie, the fatwa against Salman Rushdie, who, by the way, we haven't heard anything about. So who knows that that whole situation was a bit weird for me. I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, it happened the same week that uh, John Bolton got death threats. And it's also like just a week before the JCPOA stuff was supposed to happen. So like it seemed to be that might have been a lot of drama, but I don't know. Let's hope that Salman Rushdie uh, is okay if he uh, was attacked. Um, But uh, at any rate, that fatwa has been used for how many, how old is it? Like 30, 40 years or something? Really old fatwa. Over 30 years, for sure. Over 30-year-old fatwa is still supposed to be legitimate, whatever, uh, ruling. And also some other other countries that, like, uh, Muslim leaders of some other countries had first actually pushed for that. Exactly, exactly. That wasn't an original Iranian thought. But then the original Iranian thought of, like, banning nuclear weapons because and and chemical weapons and weapons of mass destruction in general because they don't fit... Islamic values, and so we do not engage in that as a country, is what the fatwa is implying. Uh, that one is totally ignored. because That's a genuine, uh, f- that is as legitimate as any other fatwa, and it shows you how politically they just pick and choose whatever they want, and they expect every single person to be an idiot. That's the real insulting yeah. thing about all this propaganda, is it's just every time I hear it, it's, I, I feel like that narrative directly insults my own curiosity and intelligence. This is, I take it very personally when someone comes to me with that nonsense. So, uh, yeah, so I just wanted to, like, exemplify yeah. what you're talking about with the fatwas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, for example, like about the uh, the fact that Iran has never been um, after making nukes. You can read the book Iran Crisis, written by John Kuyako, the former um, CIA agent, as well as Gareth Porter, who is a very good yeah, reporter on Western Asia. So they have actually written this book to show that it was published uh, last year. called Manufactured year. Crisis, that book, yeah. No, that was his first book. It was oh, written okay. by Gareth, Gareth Porter himself. Yeah, that's only. a great book. But this one is um, a co-authored book by with John Kuyako. What's it and called? And then Iran Crisis. 
Oh, okay. Wow. I'll have to check that out. I didn't know they wrote I don't, that. I don't great. like the title, to be honest. The title is a bit cheesy to me. Like, what do you mean by Iran crisis? It's a crisis that the Americans have made. Like, yeah, it's an American Iran crisis. Wasn't playing. It it's an yeah. American crisis more than being an Iran crisis. But anyway, the book, the book shows that there is no evidence. And the book was uh, like based on CIA documents and then read by the CIA before being printed. And they say there is no evidence. So they, this guy comes up, says that, okay, very kind-hearted um, intellectual, the biggest intellectual of our time. He says, look, it's to deter. But they're not after it, first. And secondly, he says, uh, the solution could be a uh, region free of nukes, like meaning that Israel shouldn't have it, for example. But okay, imagine Israel give up on its nukes, which is impossible. Like, it, it is not some, like, you can tell me, like, it's easier to imagine the end of the world to imagine Israel uh, giving up on its nukes. I don't know? understand what you're saying. Israel doesn't have nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? Like, this is, Israel is not even, like, um, a party to non... Uh, They're not NPT. a signatory on the non-proliferation agreement. Iran is, agreement, and it's yeah. always ignored. Like, it's like, Israel... In and a, Israel basically tacitly has admitted to having 120 nuclear weapons, which they have from technology they stole from America. They didn't get it through, in, uh, like, information exchange or whatever. They literally had an agent go in and steal that information who then was released back to Israel. He's now back in Israel, like, enjoying his life. So it, it, it's like America just doesn't care at all. And uh, and Israel has what's called the Samson option, which is actually even more disgusting, in which they point their nuclear weapons at European capitals intentionally because they say, well, if we go down, y'all going down with us. So when they do that, it means that Basically, the whole world has to like kowtow to Israel's interests or else they all get blowed up. So they, you know, because nuclear war can happen within a second. And so they say when we hit the button, if we're going to, you know, attack our attackers, London, Rome, Paris, you're all going down at the same time. So they have like the instant switch where they so that's what they threaten the world with. And nobody talks about this openly, but it really should be talked about because it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, level of like hijacking yeah. of world world affairs. So, like, what I'm trying to say is that Chomsky's call for like a free of nukes region doesn't really make sense to me because then it means like Western powers are superior; they know how to use it and they should keep it. And then these, you know, as Joseph Borrell said recently, like Europe is a garden and most of the outside is like a jungle, and then like this jungle people they shouldn't have nukes because you know like that's no good for the rest that that is actually what it means like chomsky yeah. doesn't doesn't really say that nobody should have it and whenever he says that that's when he's talking about russia uh, us kind of uh, arm rivalry it's not about like when it comes to iran that is about the region but when they come to russia he says like everybody should give up on that but they constantly conflate nuclear weapons with nuclear science and nuclear technology. In Iran, Iran is a very highly educated country, which people don't understand here. They think it's like 
the, the propaganda, it's just like with Mexico. I think if an, an average American who's never been, visited Mexico goes to Mexico, their mind is blown because it's actually a normal country, very developed. And and the, the propaganda is it's all just this backwards people. And so how could you have, you know, 60% of university entrants being women and how how these engineering and all these advancements happen in Iran is like, doesn't, people don't understand, but there actually is nuclear science, like nuclear physics. You have to have fissile material in order to study nuclear reactions. Yeah, for medicine, a lot of cancer treatments, like we were talking about chemotherapy, a lot of that involves uh, nuclear uh, medicine. It's like a whole field of nuclear medicine, even like different ways of scanning things involves nuclear. So there's a whole thing. Uh, the nuclear reactor that they do most, most of their nuclear science in, in Iran is actually an American reactor that was given to them by America back when they were uh, trading partners. So like the the whole narrative is so fake, but the idea that there's a nuclear weapons program in Iran is really false. Like they don't, they're not doing that. But what they are doing is they're producing a lot of other really good weapons that are not nuclear, like for example, missiles and drones. And you were talking about this drone narrative. I think that's also a very interesting thing to touch on is that like, like they shift this, narrative to nuclear because yep. they know that word triggers the idiot masses like people who just they they again they treat you like a moron and they think oh nuclear nuclear is just a nuclear bomb like no that's a whole, word has a whole a whole other i mean it has many different meanings there's many concepts in the in the term nuclear so i just wanted to yeah again i just feel like i have to uh, like the Russia, the, the Russia Iran thing that they say that Iran is giving drones and missiles to Russia, like maybe it does, we don't know, but it's not confirmed by the Iranian government nor by Russia. So and even if they could lie it, about it, who cares? Like, I don't understand what the like big they, deal is. The important, the importance of this is here. They try to say, yeah. That's they they are, they are they are trying to um, like show Iran and Russia as oppressors of Ukrainian people, the murderers of Ukrainian people, and then by saying that, they're trying to ask the international community, aka the West, to call for as much sanctions for Iran that they did to Russia, because before this, um, before February 2022. Um, Russia, Iran was on the top list of uh, most sanctioned countries. Uh, like a couple of years back, I remember like this was by Al Jazeera English uh, uh, AJ Plus report that I don't really like them, but this was saying that uh, Iran alone has twice uh, more sanctions uh, than Cuba, Venezuela, uh, North Korea, and Libya combined, like something like this. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. like before this uh, Russia Ukraine conflict, Iran was the like the most sanctioned country. Now it's the second. And Russia, I think, has around 10,000 sanctions on it now. So, Iran Terry, you were like going to say than, something. Your microphone than keeps 4, making it hard for us to hear you because it has a little delay. So, say what you were going to say. It's okay. It's not your fault. It's just the way uh, the connection is because i think you're the furthest away from the from the main yeah. uh, internet pipeline yeah because yeah, my earbuds stopped and now i'm using the mic on the, I'm on the phone but anyways yes i i was uh, i wanted to ask uh, Muman, do you think uh like uh, mentioning iran as uh, supporting 
Russia's invasion or Russia's defense or whatever you may call it against Ukraine as something like because to me it's re, it sounds like uh, they're trying to get NATO against Iran too like to get NATO involved because, I mean everything looks like uh, these calls for cutting the diplomatic ties and these calls for bombing Iran and normalizing any aggression on Iran seems to be coordinated with the calls that uh, like they're, they're trying to say that Iran is sending drones to kill the Ukrainians. And then then you you're you're preparing the ground for NATO also getting involved in. Uh, yeah. Um, for attack. sure. Or, or at least like it justifies aiding those who are willing to, you know, fight the Iranian government uh, with their arms in hand, you know, or like um, if they would like to, you know, uh, fund and train and like they, they still, I'm pretty sure like in Iraqi Kurdistan, they do training for some of those separatist groups, but like it would be more open and wider and, you know, larger um, in case in 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 case like Iran and Russia are portrayed the same way, and they're doing their best for that. Uh, if uh, but having said that, like if Russia um, loses in its war and um, faces troubles in the future, and NATO can move forward again, like eastward, as they say, then it will be bad for Iran too because it will get closer to Iran's borders. And also, like at the moment that we're talking, there's some sort of conflict between Armenia and the Republic of Azerbaijan in northwestern uh, borders of Iran. And if Iran loses, um, if Armenia loses uh, that piece of land over there that um, the Republic of Azerbaijan is trying to take over, then Iran won't have any direct connection to Europe. So these, all these kind of things are involved. Then the Republic of Azerbaijan it has close ties with Israel. And Iran is highly threatened over its borders. Yeah. We cannot deny that uh, during this chaos, like protests like this would be the ideal case for NATO and the United States. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's the. I think you're right. I think that both of you, like that, NATO is being lured into this. Like it's a, it's obviously uh, they've they've tried to. They want NATO is a strong. I mean, that's what they did with Libya, right? I mean, Libya was obviously the most outrageous war and invasion that's happened probably in my lifetime. It's like there was not no provocation at all. They just figured out how to use NATO to bomb it, and it was. Wow, and still shocking that that was that's not like nobody faced criminal charges for that is insane. Uh, because now and the most country prosperous would, African country, yeah, and now it's like a one of the poorest, and they have like open slave markets where you can yeah. watch videos of like black guys getting sold like it was you know 200 years ago in in the southern U.S. Like it's amazing that the that nobody's faced any criminal, and you know Hillary Clinton laughs about you know. Uh, Gaddafi being sodomized to death with a bayonet on the street, and it's like, wow. I mean, it was br the brutality in American leadership is just comes out to 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 show that. But I think that's that's the goal. I mean, if you can unite 
all the people who would hold you accountable, at least their governments, and, and then do some crime together, then what, what can you do? Well, it wasn't the U.S. that did it. It was the your collective North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is no longer very North Atlantic because it includes, I think, Colombia's in it now or something. So, uh, oh, I guess they have a tiny bit of Atlantic, but it's not very North. Um, anyway, yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, um, Human, are there any other comments that you want to add to our discussion? Uh, like, um, I would like to emphasize the very colonial language that these Western leaders are using against Iran. This has been like a very common, you know, talking point among them all. Like, Joseph Borrell is leading the team over there. And let's keep in mind that Joseph Borrell was in charge of um, JCPOA negotiations with Iran on behalf of Europe. And then this same guy is like, they are at the same time that they're trying basically for regime change in Iran. They also like saying that we will continue our negotiations over, you know, nuclear deal with Iran. And then like we have um, another protest coming up on the 22nd of October uh, would be this survey organized by Hamed Esmailiun again, this time in Berlin. Uh, they decided to take it there because it would bring more people as a united group rather than being spread out over, over like in like 150 cities, as they say, or whatever. And uh, this is going to be like one of those interesting uh, developments outside the country, because we see that uh, apparently, Setari, you can comment on this better, um, the protests in Iran are fading out. We don't yes. hear much about it. Yeah, that's true. I don't yeah. know if I can trust you, though, with your blank white background. That was another comment they said. It's like, how can we trust this hijabi with a blank white background? Did they really say that? Sorry. Yeah, that yeah. was one of the comments. I'm like, you've never seen her other interviews where it's bookcases and cats and everything, but uh, whatever. Yeah. I, yeah. Sorry. Uh, I've interrupted you. Sorry. Yeah. And one interesting <laughs> thing I forgot to tell you that um, city council in Paris apparently is uh, going to name a street after Massamini. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, okay. like, this is, this is what like. What about George Iran. Floyd? What about no, George look, Floyd Street? I want George Floyd Street first. No, he died I would first. like, I would like to have a street in Tehran named after Yellow West. Oh wow! Well, yeah, oh that's a good idea. Is, in Tehran. Oh yeah, that's a great these, idea. They are very much used to their language. They they have forgotten that um, their Western um, Western hegemony over the whole world is declining. It doesn't mean that they disappear or they won't be powerful. They will be, but not as much as before. But let's keep in mind that decline is not a uh, like a great news at this stage, because while they're declining, they're not going to leave us alone. They will do the most harm possible, yep. like the British Empire did to, to its yep. colonies before it really declined. So yep. that's why I see this unprecedented um, media coverage, false information and fake news and everything like around Iran, there are reasons to it. It's because they are declining. And, and we even in the pullout than like ever the, careful. Exactly. The declination and even the like final severing can be I mean, 
the if you just examine the British Empire, the East and West Pakistan is something that everyone should look into if you want to see just how how big of an asshole like a Kashmir. declining power can be. Yeah, but they just literally, I mean, what we call Pakistan today is was uh, West Pakistan, and what we call Bangladesh was East Pakistan, and they divided them intentionally because they knew that they would be putting these two that these two Muslim groups on either side and it would there would there wouldn't be a they wouldn't be able to communicate between each other because India cut them in in half so they didn't want Muslim unity because it, because India is the largest population of Muslims in the world it would be had they not divided it into east west and India had they not made yeah. those borders when they left cuz all Pakistan and Bangladesh were part of the the Indian uh, yeah. empire there they they divided it to to prevent is muslim political uh uh flourishing and so they'll do they'll they, people can do all kinds of crazy stuff when they're when they're pushed up against the wall and so can empires and so i mean they yeah who knows what they're what they're capable of but we're seeing a decline of capitalism overall globally and I think this is a real concern. And that's why we're seeing globalized narratives where everyone around the world is being brainwashed to repeat the same boring talking points as one of our other guests like said that we're now in very boring times because everyone basically thinks the same around the world. They say the same catchphrases and they're in the same zombified hyp hypnosis. And that's because the whole system of capitalism around the world is at the at the end point and they're having to keep people together and keep the system together by by this mass mind game manipulation and so i think uh, yeah. we are in for some rocky roads i just hope it doesn't it doesn't bring in more suffering for iran that's uh, that's what i hope yeah i hope so um that um i hope that uh, the iranian people um are given more rights we need uh, more economic reforms than anything at this stage but also like things such as um social freedoms that we talked about um like for the whole session today um these things has to be uh, like uh really you cannot really say that a large number of people who have different ideas about one thing should be left alone and then every now and then they just protest it in a, in a way that could be destructive rather than, you know, like constructive. Then uh, economic, well, like Iran has to find ways to help the lower and middle class. Otherwise we will like the next uh, protest this time, I think would be about economy. And that one is not like this. It's gonna be for people who have nothing to lose. And then there will be a very bad situation. Anyway, I thank you so much for taking your time and having this conversation with me. It was really uh, lovely to talk to you. I hope that uh, we can chat more soon. Yeah, again. I think we should uh, follow up in a month or two in, in Iran and just see. I mean, how long have you been out of the country? Almost 10 years now. Wow, that would be very interesting. I would love to do that in like two or three months. Yeah. Like, let's get back in touch and do like a follow up and see how. Like, because you're going back at a time where it's fascinating because you're exposed to all the Western propaganda in a Western. I mean, Australia is one of the most propagandized countries in the world. So yep. it's fast. It will be fascinating to hear your transition story back to your home and, and how you see things there. So I, because I think your yeah, perspectives are in line with a lot of like genuine leftist values. And so I'm very interested to hear. Yeah, I hope we can have a conversation. 
Sorry. Do you intend to stay in Iran for a long time? Like to? Uh, well, yeah. So the plan is like uh, I came here to do my PhD, then stayed longer, and uh, I wanted to like have a proper plan to return home because you know um, I didn't have enough money, so I had to save here because the wages are higher. Um, thanks to the, you know, like uh, stealing the resources of the so-called third world, the global south and so on. Like this was the opportunity yep. to save a bit of money and return home to uh, do what I would like to do. Because once I return home for men over 18, military is mandatory. And the right. only way of normal, normally like other than like being the guardian of your family or having preconditions and so on. The only way is to postpone it through higher education, like the higher uh, degree you apply for, like you do your bachelor's, then you have to apply for a master's, then you have to apply for a PhD. That's the way that you can postpone it. And I have postponed it up to now. And when I go there, I have to serve the country. Uh, so I'm going to be there for a few years at least, but my uh, hopefully forever, because I don't, I don't think that I belong to any other uh, part of the world as much. That's great. That's great. I hope you will enjoy your return and uh, I hope everything gets better here so that fewer people want to immigrate. I mean, it's um, there are so many reasons to stay in Iran. I personally haven't thought about moving out of the country forever, uh, like 85 other million people. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm very typical here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I hope the situation gets better for everyone. Yeah, thank you I so hope much. Thank well, you. No, it's pretty late there, right? What's the time? It is 22 minutes past 2 a.m. Wow. Good oh. for you. you. You don't look sleepy <laughs> at all. It's uh, almost noon here, yeah. and I think it's what, almost six there. And that's fine. Uh, I think I'm very excited about returning home now. I can't sleep these nights. So that's oh. also. <laughs> Well, we we'll look yeah. forward to catching up uh, in the in the future. I really would like to. And if you you are you based in Esfahan when you go home? Um, I was born and raised in Esfahan, but then I moved to Tehran and afterwards to Australia. So I'm gonna go back to Tehran because in the field of theater, it's better and easier for me okay. to work. And also, I have been teaching online at an Iranian university for the past couple of years, and I would like to continue. Uh, doing Great. it um, that's in Tehran. Interesting. Okay. Well, we'll look forward to touching base with you in the future. So that'll be great. Always. Well, thanks to everyone for joining us on another episode of uh, Twice Told Tales, and we'll see you again next time. Don't forget to All subscribe right. to our channel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, yeah. Don't forget to subscribe. There we go. That's the end. Don't forget to like and subscribe and watch uh, Satara's interview that's in the in the comments. All right. See you again next time.